It's our WWE Backlash 2021 review show on the Double Turd Podcast, which starts right now. This was a show that, of course, was named WrestleMania Backlash, but of course, in the opening, I was only going to call it Backlash for good reason, because quite frankly, I don't care that WWE wants to rebrand it as WrestleMania Backlash. To me, it will always be known as Backlash, because that way it's not confusing. So this is the WWE Backlash 2021 review show. I am Boss Ross. J-Man is not joining me on this show tonight. Uh, But he will be joining us for next week's show, in which uh, that is the show right before Memorial Day weekend. So I'll have a programming note uh, for everybody leading up to that. Uh, Because quite frankly, I will be out of town by the time that show would normally drop. So we're actually going to drop it a little bit early. I'll talk to you guys about that at the end of this show. So before then, uh, like I said, I am flying solo tonight. It has been a very, very long week. um, And I'm looking forward to the weekend coming up. Of course, there are uh, the NBA playoffs or the play-in has already started. The NHL playoffs have already started. Major League Baseball underway. So uh, as a fan of all of those, I am very excited to get that going on. Of course, wrestling still a big part of my life. That's why I do this show uh, with the J-Man, of course, flying solo tonight. Got to bring you this uh, great information from this uh, pay-per-view that was, uh, well, it was the last pay-per-view from WWE. Um, I did say that uh, there was the potential for us to talk about the AEW Blood and Guts uh, main event, and I was going to do a separate show based on the last Impact show, but I decided that I needed to do a separate show that involved the next big main event for Impact, and uh, I am determined to give you that show in which uh, Kenny Omega, he has his new challenger, and uh, I, for one, am very excited about it, even if they decide that... He is not the guy that's going to take the belt off of Kenny Omega. Uh, I still think it speaks volumes for Moose uh, out of the last two shows that they've done and the positioning that they've put him in. Um, I'm not unopposed to it at all. If you've heard anything I've talked about on Impact, uh, so I will bring you that episode with my thoughts about Kenny Omega and Moose as the next big main event for the Impact World Championship. So I will strive to do that for you. Of course, this show is sponsored by Wabam. That's W-O-B-A-M. It's wabam.com. The Double Turn Podcast. We talk wrestling on this show, mostly WWE, but we do also talk AEW and, of course, Impact Wrestling, along with many other things doing with wrestling. So on this show... 
Uh, also, you can find this at uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all the rest of the regular places you can find us. So this show took place in Tampa, Florida at the Youngling Center, Yingling Center. I don't care. It took place in Tampa. There were no fans. I was a little disappointed by that. But that being said, that is the choice of the WWE to not have fans in their building. And that's fine. Uh, I just thought they were going to potentially have fans in the building. A lot of other sporting events are already starting to do it. Again, I am not trying to be political on this show. I'm simply stating that they are choosing not to. They are still doing Thunderdome. Um, and eventually, I think they will start letting some people in the building. I don't know when that's going to be, but I only mention that because WrestleMania, which was the pay-per-view before the show, even though it was an outdoor venue, they had fans in the building. So, again, it's their choice. That's fine. I just thought they were going to maybe have, you know, 20%. Just, just a thought. But they didn't. They chose not to. Uh, so an indoor venue with the Thunderdome again. Uh, so that's what this show ended up being. Um, there were only, leading up to SmackDown, there were only... There were six matches that were scheduled, and then they added one more on SmackDown. So Jorge and I only preview and predicted six of the seven matches. So the match they added was the pre-show, which I'll talk about briefly here in a second. Um, Jorge and I went six for six on this show. Not a huge surprise given the card and the action and the fact that, uh, well, really only one title change made sense. Uh, plus, it's the show after WrestleMania where so much had already changed. This goes back into my argument of we don't need pay-per-views every month, especially with the fact that WWE has basically killed their own pay-per-view business by just doing the network. But that being said, um, they're still doing pay-per-views every month right now. That may change. I sincerely doubt it's going to, given their business model. Uh, but this is what we get. We get a pay-per-view that, uh, was probably one of the easier pay-per-views to predict again, because they are so adamant about making big changes on big shows. Um, well, yes, that is the big show. Yes. So many jokes from that. Uh, terrible. I know, but that being said, uh, so let's just dive into this because, for the most part, I thought this was a pretty good show. Um, I don't know what Jorge's complete thoughts are thoughts are on it, but um, I have to believe he probably liked most of this show. Um, most of these matches were given time. Um, obviously, the pre-show match and one other match were designed to be short. And the rest were given a decent amount of time. I think there was one match that they could have gone longer. Um, but I think most people got what they wanted out of this pay-per-view, which is good. You don't want to flop right after your biggest show of the year or one of your biggest shows of the year. Um, and I think for the most part, this show delivered. Uh, however, and we'll get to it, WWE decides they can't they they just can't get out of their own way. 
So by doing that, is this show only going to be remembered for one terrible moment, or will we look back on this show and go, no, that was a pretty good show. I, I could have done without this, but it's going to go down as one of the better pay-per-views of 2021. Uh, time will tell. Sitting here tonight in Phoenix, Arizona, I will tell you right now, um, I will say the pay-per-view is a success with a very glaring mistake that happened on the show. And we'll see what they do with it because, well, we'll just get into it. I'll just start with the pre-show. It was Sheamus and Ricochet just in a singles match. I I read somewhere that uh, Ricochet is a completely forgotten part of this roster, and it's really sad. Um, it does not seem like that long ago that Ricochet was a guy that could have been a guy that would just have great matches every week. Whether they did anything with him is one thing. Um, but ever since he got lost in that shuffle of being called up to the main roster and basically not really being given anything to do, um, that hurts. Uh, and so when that happens and you're not done, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things where Ricochet is losing some very precious time in his career. And I say this about a lot of people that get lost in WWE. Give him like two years with like NWA or New Japan or even Impact Wrestling. And he will just all of a sudden become 10 times more valuable. And some company will pick him up and he will be at the later part of his career or a later part of his career. Of course, that's how that works. Time. Um, but in this case, storyline-wise, you know, Sheamus is coming off a situation where he is booked higher on the show, so it makes sense that he beats Ricochet in a match on a pre-show in seven minutes. Um, for a pre-show match, it was fine. Um, again, these are on Peacock. There is no WWE Network anymore, even though it's the WWE Network on Peacock. Um, I'm still not a big fan of that streaming service. Uh, it's it's going to take some time to get used to. They're going to need to iron out some things with it. Uh, but they had to iron out a lot of things with the WWE Network, and then it became a massive success, and then they sold it. So, But this is not me harping on Peacock or the WWE Network. I'm simply saying it was a pre-show match. It filled time. It was fine. Okay? Like, it, it was fine. So... Little did I know that the WWE was going to openly promote on this pay-per-view Army of the Dead, which is the Netflix special with Dave Bautista. Um, so they decided that they were going to make this a thing. Like, as part of the show. Um, you know, uh, look, obviously Dave's in the family. And Dave is 
you know, a welcome part of the WWE roster. And, you know, he's, he's going to be a guy that's going to be very well respected and, and, and always treated with respect with this company for, for very good reason. Um, and they wanted to highlight the fact that he is on a Netflix special that people have been talking about for months. Um, cool. That's awesome. Like self-promotion in this way, I don't have a problem with at all. Um, like get, get eyeballs on your product, get eyeballs on Dave's product. That's fine. Like that's business. I'm not a hater. Okay. What I have a problem with is instead of just promoting it, which they could have done the whole night and been obnoxious and it would have been one night and we would have been like, oh my gosh, why were there 13 ads for Army of the Dead on Netflix? You know, is there anybody that doesn't have a Netflix account that would just get it for a month just to watch this? I don't know. Maybe. Um, and that would have been the end of it because then we would have all seen it and gone on with our lives. And then they made them the freaking lumberjacks in the Damian Priest Miz match. They made the dead, the dead, the lumberjacks. I'll get to that match because it was not the opener. However, it was in the middle of the show, which. I think I probably would have preferred this on the pre-show and then it just gotten over with and then I would have been like, okay, that pre-show never existed. Instead, it was in the middle of a pretty good show. So this pay-per-view actually started with the triple threat match for the Raw Women's Championship. Rhea Ripley defending her title against Asuka and Charlotte Flair. Um, So Charlotte Flair is, uh, well, she's kind of a big deal for a lot of reasons. Um, a lot of people love her. A lot of people hate her. She's about as polarizing as it gets when it comes to WWE in general. Um, do I think she's the most hated person on the WWE roster right now? Probably Roman Reigns still takes that camp, even though he's actually being a heel now. Um, I gotta believe a close second is probably her, um, just because of her stature and just who she has become. Um, so I think the real fear in this match was that Charlotte Flair was going to pick up some really just, just awful win, and just I don't know. So. Uh, Essentially, what I thought was going to happen uh, did not happen. It actually happened with uh, Charlotte being sent outside of the ring, Ripley hitting Asuka with Riptide, and then she did her wacky celebration afterwards. I, I just... Look, just make Rhea Ripley the monster babyface. It's not that hard. Um I get that they're trying to make people unique. Um, you you don't need to reinvent the wheel here, okay? Like she she needs to be the monster babyface, 
And again, the only reason I thought she should have pinned Charlotte was to get was to kind of complete that circle. Now there's an out. Now there's an out for Charlotte, which says, "Oh, you didn't pin me, so now I'm going to get my one-on-one rematch." And then the real fears come in for Charlotte getting back her title. And I say her title because, much like her dad, yeah, things just seem either like worst case scenario or normal when certain performers have the belt. Uh, Whichever way you think. So I guess from that theory, if your story is that Rhea's got to beat Charlotte in a one-on-one match, then yes, you get Asuka out of the way first, and then Charlotte faces her, and then Rhea beats her. Um, But overall, I thought this was a good match. I thought each lady played their part extremely well. Uh, Rhea, of course, playing the Chris Benoit part of the triple threat as the babyface. Asuka played Shawn Michaels perfectly fine. I mean, she wasn't like super dastardly or anything, but she was the neutral person in the match. And Charlotte Flair was the great heel that she always is. Openly taunting, talking a lot of trash, being hated. And that's fine. That's the way it needed to be. Um, So again, on a show where we had not one, but two triple threat matches, which is always dangerous. Thank God they never had a triple threat pay-per-view. They had a fatal four pay-per-view. I really hope they don't ever have a triple threat pay-per-view. Just, just, just don't. Just imagine if the ECW stable like when it went to a WWF show and it was in your house triple threat. God, that would be awful. Just awful. Anyway, point is Rhea Ripley wins. The match went 15 minutes for an opener for this feud. I enjoyed it. There are things I could complain about, but for the most part, I enjoyed this. If it sets up Rhea versus Charlotte, great. Um, They're in kind of this weird spot where It's before Money in the Bank. It's before SummerSlam. Nobody knows if they're doing a draft this year because of everything that's gone on. Um, I sincerely doubt they're going to do a lot of movement. They may do some surprises. They may move some people strategically, but I don't think we're formally going to have a draft this year, and I'm totally fine with that because the draft itself has just become a trope and a crutch. And it doesn't really mean anything. Yes, it means certain people are on different shows and you see certain feuds pop up. But for the most part, it's not like the shows are really separated. It's not like they feel different. You know, it's not like in the old days where... The old days. It's not like when they first did this where they tried to keep people completely off of the other show with a few exceptions. Um, so I think taking a year or two off from it is probably the right decision. Um, and I hate to say that given the main reason to not do it, but in this case, just don't do it. Dolph Ziggler and Robert Rude, the, uh, I've already forgotten their name. The Dirty Dogs were, uh, defending their SmackDown tag team titles against the father and son team 
of Rey Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio. I think everybody saw this coming from a mile away. Uh, no real surprise here. Um, you know, the old story of, you know, one of them gets beat up. The other one's going to defiantly wrestle the two heels. And then the baby faces overcome the odds. And WWE had a chance to do a first, which is have a father and son tag team win the tag team titles. Slam dunk. Uh, they win the match. Uh, again, for a tag team match for WWE, I thought this was just fine. It told the story it needed to tell. You make history. Ziggler and Rude don't lose any credibility as far as I'm concerned, losing to a guy on the last leg of his career and a guy that's starting his career. Um, and, you know, you could have Ray and Dominic hold these titles until probably SummerSlam and figure out what you're going to do. Um, you know, Rude and Ziggler can get a rematch at the next pay-per-view, and then you can figure it out. You can just figure it out because it's the tag team titles, and, and this company doesn't take tag team wrestling seriously at all. Um, so for what this was, uh, again, told the story it needed to tell. So I will give this again, a good match, nothing special, nothing out of this world. Um, it, it set out what it wanted to accomplish. And I can respect that, especially on this show. Um, there are too many times where, you know, we got to, as I said before, you don't have to remake the wheel in a lot of these, like certain stuff will work. So Ray and Dominic with the match, it was given 17 minutes, which was longer than the triple threat match. That surprised me. It was also the second longest match on the show. The only thing that uh, topped it was the main event, uh, which I will get to. But uh, at this point in the show, I was happy. I saw, I saw a pre-show that was fine. I saw an opener that, again, given the story they want to tell, worked out just fine. All of them played their roles. And the tag team match, again, for WWE standards, was a good match. It's fine. Then we got to the low point on this show. So Damian Priest was facing The Miz in a lumberjack match. Now, I've been very critical of Damian Priest recently. And again, Nothing against the guy or the performer, but this entire storyline is doing him no favors. Zero. So, again, did anybody expect Bad Bunny to be as good as he was at WrestleMania? Probably not. I think people were hoping it would suck, but I think had people realized what Bad Bunny was going to do for... The Miz and what Miz was going to do for Bat Bunny should have been a one-on-one -on -one match. I don't really think there's any denying that. I think they put in Damian Priest and John Morrison to make sure that everything was fine. Um, and had we gotten Bad Bunny and The Miz at WrestleMania and it was bad, they probably would have regretted that decision, but we all would have looked back on it and said, okay, like, it was what it was. Um, this is not doing any favors for Damian Priest. Like, he was there at WrestleMania. He's here. And then, in the middle of the Lumberjack match, 
The Miz and Damian Priest, who, again, there's been smack talk this entire time between these two camps. And then all of a sudden, the Lumberjacks are the dead. Yes, the same dead from the Army of the Dead Netflix show that they were promoting, and they decided, oh, let's have promotion for the Netflix show with our WWE performer and have it be part of a throwaway match. And then the Miz apparently became a zombie and apparently he's also hurt. That's just great. Oh, and also apparently Morrison was uh, taken out as well. Uh, this was a throwaway match. Throwaway match to a feud that really, really didn't need to happen. But... The Miz tore his ACL. Full tear. Um, so, yeah, he he's 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 gone for a while. Okay. Um, now, that's if it's a full tear. Um, if it's only a partial tear. Okay, but he's he's 40, folks. Like, we say all the time, like, LeBron James, I know this is not a basketball show, LeBron James is a little bit older than I am. And he's really not had that many big time, like, he had, the, he had the groin injury his first year with the Lakers, and then he had this injury this year with the Lakers as well. When you have a guy that finally admits I'm really slowing down and I'm not going to be able to recover 100% again, that means something. Um, so hopefully this is not a full tear, but who knows? And in just a slop match like this, it sucks. So Priest won. It doesn't do anything for him, and the Miz is hurt. So, I move on. Really, truthfully, I move on. Uh, before I get into the main three matches of the show, I must say this, okay? I rail to death the fact that I think Michael Cole is not a good announcer, okay? And the reason I say Michael Cole's not a good announcer is because he has been doing this for years he has not gotten any better. He's the same Michael Cole since when he started as 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 a lead announcer. I'm just tired of it. I need something else. You know, I talked about how, you know, Matt Stryker doing Impact Wrestling is a breath of fresh air. Okay. Even if I liked Josh Matthews, he it was getting old. 
Okay. Very few announcers can, you know, you can listen to year after year, week after you know, week after week, month after month, year after year, before you just need something different in order to say, oh, that's why I liked this, or that's why I didn't like this. I'm there with Michael Cole. However, okay. Adnan Verk is probably a really nice guy. Adnan Verk, in his element with sports, is fantastic. Adnan Verk calling a wrestling show is a disaster. It's a disaster. It's fish out of water. Like, thank God Pat McAfee is doing something on SmackDown. But Adnan Verk is terrible. Like, Graves is trying. He's trying. And Byron Saxon's Byron Saxton. I don't need to go there. It just proves, it proves that if they're going to have two different announced teams, which I'm a thousand percent behind Michael Cole not being on both shows, if they're going to do this, they need to have someone, someone that can do play-by-play that is not a fish out of water. It has to, it has to get done. So that's my, that's my small take on Adnan Burke doing play-by-play for Raw. It's, it's not good. So that leads us to Bianca Belair defending her SmackDown Women's Championship against Bayley. Um, I will tell you right now, at this point in the pay-per-view, until the finish of the match, this was my favorite thing on the pay-per-view. Up to this point. And then the finish happened where, again, Bianca's hair and Bailey's hair are used in the finish. It's going to get old very fast. Especially since you're saying Bianca Belair is the baby face. If she was the heel, that'd be a different story. This would work. So I'm telling you right now. Eventually, there's going to be a storyline where that hair is going to get cut. Because it's going to be used in a trope in a match forever. And the fans are going to reject it. And I don't know what to tell you. But again, up to the finish, I thought this was really well done. I thought both ladies played their roles extremely well. And I saw something in Bianca that I had not seen before which was she decided that she was going to make it a point in this match to ensure that she put herself in a position to where Bailey could still make her look good even though you knew Bianca basically was essentially, you know, 
trying to make sure that she's doing what she needed to do. So, um, but in this match, so Bailey took advantage of the, of, of the match early and Bianca never really got her bearings. So she was babyface in peril in this match. And so it showed a different, because again, she's supposed to be the EST, regardless of, of, of what I think of the gimmick. Like, again, I preach this all the time. You have to show vulnerabilities. You have to show baby faces overcoming the odds and heels getting humbled. You have to. It do, I mean, Because eventually that doesn't, it doesn't work because then people are just going to reject the fact that these people are, are not vulnerable. Because at the end of the day, we still want to be able to relate to these people, even though like in some way, they're not relatable. If that makes sense. Like they're like they're supposed to be larger in life. Not that we're supposed to aspire to them, but they're not. They're not like us. They are different than us, and I can appreciate what they do because they can do things that I could never do. So I can appreciate that. So I enjoyed the fact that Bailey, the better wrestler, was making the better athlete. Kind of, you know, think twice about just kind of getting by with their natural ability, right? Because, you know, Bianca had showcased that she was just better than Bailey in a lot of respects. So, so Bailey had to kind of go back to her roots as a heel and just kind of dominate where she needed to and, you know, talk trash and, you know, take shortcuts and all that stuff. And then the finish with the hair happened. I was like, but why? You were telling such a good story without that. Like, can we have something that doesn't involve her hair? Is her hair the gimmick? Eventually, that can't just be the gimmick. The hair. So, that's my takeaway. Up until the finish, I thought this was actually a good match for the two of them. Um, I would not mind seeing them again wrestle for the title is what i'm saying so again not a ton of complaints except for the finish which is a big complaint but that's what i have to say about it now i know i'm gonna get some ire about this and i don't care bobby lashley defending his wwe title against broad Strowman and drew mcintyre in a triple threat match i loved this match i knew i was gonna love this match this match did not disappoint me, except for the fact that it was a little short. This match was only given 14 minutes. Um, I know that some people are already tired of Drew and Bobby, and that's fine. There are those of us, like myself, that are not tired of Drew and Bobby. Um, I really wish I believed that there was more for Braun Strowman other than upper echelon mid-card main event when we need you. So he's that guy, like, try to think of a good analogy. Braun Strowman is never going to be the ace of your staff. He's just not. But he can be a solid number four, number five starter when he needed to be. Is he going to make the opening day rotation? Probably not. 
Or maybe he does, and you're just not relying on him come playoff time because he's not one of your main guys. Which I think is a shame because given the right motivation, given the right material, given the right trajectory, I think Braun Strowman could be a massive, massive star for this company. And this company just doesn't see it. Uh, it's the same thing people thought about Dolph Ziggler for a long time. They just they just missed their opportunity. Um, I think if Braun Strowman just fights the good fight for another few years and just does everything he's supposed to do, I really think he's going to get what's coming to him. Because for some guys, they get the rocket ship, and other guys, it just takes a long, long time. And the two other guys in the ring with him are great examples of guys where it took a while. Okay. Bobby Lashley was given the rocket ship and then he just stalled. Now I know people, you know, John Cena and all this stuff. It's fine. But it took Bobby Lashley a while to get to where he like he's he's not the guy that he was when they put the rocket ship to him. He is much better than the guy that they put the rocket ship to, you know, when he broke the master lock and all that stuff. And Drew McIntyre, same thing. He was the chosen one. And then he got ripped. And then he became, like, one of the best baby faces of the last five years. I don't even think that's questionable, to be honest with you. But that is the story of these three guys, which is they've all had some level of success. And a couple of them have been seen as the guy. I mean, right now, Roman Reigns is the guy. He's been the guy. But, I mean, I would argue Drew McIntyre's been the guy. Um, Bobby Lashley is, you know, he's still viewed as a top guy right now. You know, he's not a placeholder. At least I don't think he is. Maybe Braun Strowman was a placeholder at the time. Maybe he wasn't always thought of that way. But the reason why I loved this match, and I knew I was going to love this match, is because even though every played out thing that happens in every triple threat match happened in this match, it was three larger than life guys beating the hell out of each other. It's never going to get old for me. There was at no point where I was bored. There was no point where, you know, I I knew for sure what direction they were going in. I had a feeling Lashley was going to retain. That's why I picked it. But at no point was I like, oh, yeah, I'm just I'm just waiting for some screw job finish. Like, no, I was I was not I was not waiting for that. It was a fun trade wreck. And I mean that in the best way possible. Most of the time when people say trade wreck, it's terrible. OK, but. Look, they did every spot that every guy's known for. And it looks cool when just big dudes hurt each other. It, 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 it's it's kind of hard to explain for people that don't watch combat sports. Okay. When 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 big larger than life people beat up other big larger than life people, it's noticeable. <laughs> it's it's it just it's 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 impactful. Um, 
I thought most everything was pretty crisp. Uh, we got a semblance of air Strowman. I'll always pop for that. Um, but again, they didn't make Lashley out to be something he wasn't. They didn't make Drew to be out to be something he wasn't. And again, for me, most importantly, they didn't make Strowman out to be something that he wasn't. So again, a match where you just have a brawl with wrestling, with everybody getting their stuff in, everybody looking good, and there's a finish. Great. Loved it. I have zero to complain about. I knew I was going to have fun with this match. I did. The right guy won. And now you have lots of options. You can do Drew and Lashley again. You can do Strowman and Drew and do something else with Lashley. Um, you have time is the point. So if you want to do Drew and Lashley one more time, have Strowman, you know, cause some, not DQ, but just cause something where, you know, Drew loses or you think Lashley's going to lose. So maybe Strowman gets a one-on-one match and then Drew causes it. So then that causes something else. Regardless, you can do a lot of different things with this. I'm fine with that. I loved the match. I don't care what anybody else thinks. To me, this was my favorite thing on the show. I know it's blasphemous to not think Cesaro and Roman Reigns that went 27 minutes wasn't the best thing on the show. I'm about to talk about it. But for me, my favorite thing on this show, for me as a wrestling fan, was this match. Lashley versus McIntyre versus Drummond. So, it's main event time. Roman Reigns versus Cesaro for the Universal Championship. So, I think we spoke, Jorge and I spoke, about the last time Cesaro and Roman Reigns had a one-on-one match. And I believe we agreed that it was an intercontinental title match in either 2017 or 2018. Now, Roman Reigns has been near that top level for years. Cesaro has not. Um, so Cesaro being in a title match itself was probably the selling point. Now, given the fact that Roman Reigns can go, Cesaro can go, and you put those two in a match telling the story about how, you know, Cesaro is, you know, trying to dethrone this oppressive head of the table, and Roman Reigns is telling the story that he runs, he runs, he runs everything. It's not his yard, but he runs everything. He is the head of the table. Um, so, of course, Cesaro came out guns ablazing. Not a big surprise given the fact that Roman is not a chicken heel and not a monster heel. He's kind of the, he's kind of in between. And that's probably what makes it the best. Because he is a monster, but he's not, you know, he he's hiding behind his henchmen. He's hiding behind Paul. He's hiding behind a microphone. He's not trying to be the well, I, I just gotta I just gotta get out in front of everything. That was his character. That probably wouldn't work with this incarnation. Um, so this was a match to showcase Cesaro. On the biggest stage. 
And then it was also a way to essentially have Roman and Cesaro prove that given time, they are both in this position for a reason. Cesaro's been one of the best performers in this company for years. And despite what anybody says about Roman Reigns, he is in the position he is in for a damn good reason. And he's earned it. You cannot say the guy has not earned it. Um, so the submission hold finally came in. Um, there was a lot of there was a lot of countering, which sometimes I will be very critical of. In this case, even though everybody knew Roman was going to win, there was still a moment where you're like, as long as Roman doesn't put on the guillotine, Cesaro's got a chance. Which, by the way, is really good storytelling. Because what you're saying is, well, the heel's got this really devastating move. And if you're put in it, you're done. But if that doesn't happen, he's... What's the word I've used? Vulnerable. Which Roman Reigns was proven once again to be vulnerable. And then Roman Reigns countered into the guillotine. Lights out. Your winner and still Universal Championship. The Universal Champion, I should say. Roman Reigns. Uh, again, absolutely nothing to complain about. Um, I still think this is going to be a one-off. I don't think they're going to get a rematch, even though they've left the door open for it. And I am not opposed to it. I just have a feeling that this is a one-off because everything about what this company has done when it comes to Cesaro and the way they are building Roman Reigns tells me that if this is not a one-off, then they're going to do something where Cesaro is just going to get screwed. And this is not going to be a six-month feud. If this is a six-month feud, I will be shocked. But I will also not be shocked if this is it. Because I said this before, this was a moment to say, okay, you didn't think we'd put Cesaro in a world title match. Now we have. Now people can stop complaining. And I hate to put it that way because it simplifies the great match that was the main event of this show. Call me cynical, but if that's the only match we get for the universal title between these incarnations of these characters, I will be happy with it. Um, to most people, it probably was the best thing on the show. To most people that watch this pay-per-view, it's probably the best thing on this show. I just have personal tastes. And again, it's not that I don't like the main event. It's not that I'm not going to look back on this main event and go, that was a great match. And I will probably rewatch it and probably cover it on this show with either Cesaro matches or Roman matches or Backlash matches or whatever. But for me, my taste as a wrestling fan, this was the second best thing on the show. And again, the last three matches of this show were excellent. And the first three matches of this show 
were fine. Nothing spectacular. They were fine. And then there was the zombie nonsense in the middle of it. And I was like, why? Like, why? How did you think this was going to play out? So as I now reviewed this show, and by the way, again, Jorge and I went six for six, pre-show show, the pre-show show. The pre-show match was a last-second edition. So, of course, we can't predict that. We probably both would pick Sheamus. So I retain my two-match lead over the J-Man going into our next pay-per-view. But that is going to do it for this Backlash 2021 review show. Next week's show is a TDT's Classic Series, ladies and gentlemen. We're very excited for it. It is a feud that we have talked about for some time that we are finally going to do. And actually, coincidentally, it fits in nicely for the person that was uh, highlighted on this very pay-per-view, that being Dave Batista. That's right, folks. Next week, TDT's Classic Series, we are covering Dave Batista versus Triple H. Oh, yeah. That... <coughs> that is going to be a fun one. Um, so, of course... Batista and Triple H had several excellent matches. And we're going to cover three of them. And uh, no, we are not covering the last one. Although there are moments in that match I would love to talk about at some point. But we are not covering that match. Um, we are actually covering their essential feud that, uh, well... It was the WrestleMania 21 match between Triple H and Batista for the World Heavyweight Championship, and then their two rematches. So um, that would be, let's see here, so 2005 WrestleMania 1. Jorge would just have this at his fingertips right now, so I'm just previewing it for next week's show. So, uh, WrestleMania 21 will be the match between Triple H and Batista for the World Heavyweight Championship. Again, it was at WrestleMania 21. And then their rematch, I believe, was at... Was it Backlash? Let's see. It was at Backlash. And then... Uh, don't think, no, because Judgment Day was a SmackDown pay-per-view. Then there was ECW One Night Stand, so I believe the third match was Hell in a Cell at Vengeance, which would have been in June. So I believe those are the three matches we're covering. WrestleMania 21, and then Backlash of 2005, and then Vengeance, which would be the Hell in a Cell match. Those are the three matches that I believe we are covering for that show. I'm very excited. Jorge's very excited. You should be very excited. Um, programming note. Uh, again, next weekend is Memorial Day weekend. I will be out of town. 
So we normally record this show on Thursdays. And that is not going to be possible because I will be out of town Thursday after work. So the tentative plan is to record the show early in the week. But I don't know if we're dropping it early or if we're dropping it on the same day. We have not decided yet. But we are recording Triple H versus Batista early. And we'll let you know when we are dropping that episode. And then I don't know if it's going to be next week or the weeks coming up. But uh, Jorge's got an announcement that he's going to make. That's just a tease. I'm not going to, you know, blow anything. But uh, Jorge will have a very exciting announcement uh, pertaining to uh, his life and the show. And uh, and then we'll get this kicked off. As I said before, it is my uh, duty for this podcast, not only for myself, but for the show, that I will give you a separate video involving my thoughts on the next big feud for Kenny Omega uh, with Impact Wrestling as he will be facing Moose for the Impact World Championship coming up at Impact's next big show. I will do a separate video for that uh, for sure. Uh, and of course, lots of other exciting news coming up for the show, uh, which we will talk about in the coming episode. So that is going to do it. For the WWE Backlash 2021 review show, I have been Boss Ross Flying Solo. Again, you can find this show. We are sponsored by Wabam, W-O-B-A-M.com. The Devil Turn, which is a podcast. We talk wrestling. You can also find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all of the regular stuff. And so, until next time, I am Boss Ross, and we will catch you, or I will catch you, on the flip side. 